Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. morning of worship so far. I, I start thinking about the, the words that we're singing sometimes. That, For example, that old song at Calvary, mercy there was great and grace was free. Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? And it just kind of gets right down to your heart. That last song that Rep led, I got to give him a little credit. That's one of Rep's originals uh, that he wrote himself based on one of the Psalms and fantastic job. Brother Rep, good job, good job. Well, yeah, that's fine. Give, give credit where credit is due. We're gonna we're gonna cut him an album live at FBC one of these days. <laughs> so in our study, uh, going through the Word together, we're deep into Jesus' life and ministry now, and uh, we've looked at his baptism and that inauguration of his public ministry. Last week, we looked at just a a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. And in those final sentences of the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember, Jesus made it very clear that every person, every single person has to make a decision. That there are two choices that we all must make. And it really is a matter of choice. Your eternity comes down to a choice and a decision. And you can either choose Jesus and have eternal life, or you can choose anything except Jesus and have eternal condemnation. So now, uh, we've been in the Gospel of Mark. We've been in the Gospel of Matthew. Today, you can go ahead and flip on over to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter 3 this morning. And Jesus continues to teach us about salvation. And we get a glimpse into one of those very few places in Scripture where Jesus is alone with someone, and we see exactly how and what He teaches that person in that moment. So as we look at John chapter 3... We're going to look at Jesus' interaction with a man by the name of Nicodemus. Probably a familiar story to a lot of us. And in Jesus' words, we see somewhat of a theological roadmap, if you will. Uh, When Jesus is teaching Nicodemus about what it means for someone to truly be saved. So turn to John chapter 3. We're going to start at the beginning of the chapter. And we're going to read a lot because you just can't leave some of this out. John chapter 3 says, There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone's born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be, asked Nicodemus. 
Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied. Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I've told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And then Jesus concludes with this. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Now that's a lot of scripture. Jesus really gets into a very deep conversation with Nicodemus. And I want to just kind of walk through some of this with you this morning. In the first part of the 18th century, there were two Lutheran theologians who coined this phrase, this Latin phrase, ordo salutis. Now, you don't have to memorize that. We're not going to take a test, but I want to share this with you because what it basically means is the order of salvation or the order in which certain things that Paul talks about and Peter talks about, things like election and calling and regeneration and repentance and faith and justification, sanctification, preservation, glorification, all these big things, the order in which those things occur. And so all throughout church history, this has been kind of hotly debated. Even different denominations disagree about the order of these things. Even people within the same denomination, like Baptists, disagree about the order of these things. But fortunately for us, Jesus keeps it pretty simple. I'm very, I'm very thankful that he does. And in his teaching to this great teacher, understand who Nicodemus is, this master of the law, Jesus breaks down salvation, thankfully, into three major pieces. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And it's beautiful how he crafts his words and uses these illustrations to help Nicodemus and to help us understand what typically is a very complicated matter if you dig into it very deeply. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And we have to think that there's something about Jesus that's drawing Nicodemus. He's intrigued by him. He, he sees something special in him. But then he begins to speak. And Nicodemus is, I think, searching, but he's not quite there yet. His heart's not quite right in the right place. What's he say? He says, we know you're a good teacher. But Jesus is so much more than a teacher. And he begins then, though, to teach Nicodemus And Jesus shatters all this small talk and he gets right to the heart of the matter. And he says to this Pharisee of Pharisees, to this, this one that's studied the law basically his entire life, this one who's probably lived up to every T of the law, this man that was probably good by every world standard. He says, Nicodemus, listen, none of that's going to cut it. Unless a person is born again, he can't go to heaven. And that's the first piece we've got to understand this morning. Is I must be... Reborn. 
So Nicodemus, being a smart man, an intellectual man, has a hard time understanding what Jesus is talking about. And I'll be honest, if, if you're not familiar with Christianese and you dig into this rebirth stuff, you're probably wondering what Jesus is talking about too. Nicodemus says, Teacher, how can someone who's old be born? Can he go back to his mother's womb and come back out again? And Jesus says, No, unless you're born of the water and you're born of the Spirit, you simply can't enter the kingdom of God. So again, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Well, Jesus is talking about this, this term that we call regeneration or the new birth. The new creation. And like last week we saw in Jesus' teaching, every person is born naturally. How many people have a mommy and a daddy? We've all been born once, right? And we're born uh, walking down this broad road that Jesus said leads to destruction. And somewhere along that road, like we said last week, every single one of us has to come to a point where we make a conscious decision to get off that broad road and onto the narrow road and choose to follow Jesus which leads to eternal life. Now listen, I also want to share this. I, I've thought a lot about this, and, and I don't have a problem with people saying, Preacher, you don't understand. I was born this way, or I was born that way, in order to justify their, their sin, right? Or their immorality. I don't have a problem with that, and here's why. Every single person, all of us, even if you were born with a greater propensity towards a certain sin, or you're just me, or you, or whoever, we all have to be what? Born again. So it don't matter. We were all born messed up. But Jesus says that don't matter. You have to be reborn. And so every single person who wants to go to heaven has to experience this rebirth and choose to follow Jesus or not. Now the problem with this is, and Jesus is getting to this, is that our nature is so corrupted by sin, we are so depraved that it's essentially impossible for us to do this thing by our own volition. And so just as someone can't rebirth themselves, we need the work of God's Holy Spirit to enable us to make this change and to be born again, to become something brand new. As Paul says, to become a brand new creature in Christ. A person who's heart is no longer made of stone, but it's made of flesh. Somebody who, all those walls that we've put up have now come crashing down as, as Jesus breaks through into our life, and be, we then begin to turn to Him. Bruce Damaris defines this miraculous thing called regeneration as that work of the Spirit at conversion that renews the heart and the life, and listen to this, thus restoring the person's intellectual, volitional, moral, emotional, and relational capacities to know, love, and to serve God. You have to be equipped by God Himself to love and serve and know Him the way that He deserves to be loved and served and known. Now we do have a role to play, and we're going to talk about a couple of these, but we've got to understand first and foremost that this whole thing, this miracle called salvation, it starts with God. And it begins with God's Spirit calling and drawing someone to Himself and, and beginning this, this, this process to make them even capable of having faith in Him. Jesus says in John chapter 6, He says, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him. Now, for those of you who are saved, perhaps you remember what this was like before you were saved. Do you remember that? 
I think back to when I was a boy, I remember the Holy Spirit beginning to draw me to God, the Father drawing me to Himself and convicting me of my sin. And I can remember many a Sunday morning, the, the, the nervous sweats coming out and, and the knots in my stomach and the heart racing and gripping the pew like somebody's going to pack me off. That's God's Spirit calling you and drawing you. And maybe you've been experiencing that yourself here lately. And if so, the, the worst thing you can do is fight against God's Spirit. Just give in and follow Him. Next thing that we see here this morning that Jesus teaches us, and this is where we get into some of our responsibility. Not only must I be reborn, but I must receive Jesus. When you feel the Spirit convicting you and calling you and drawing you, this is where you got to step in and do some work. You need to receive Him. Jesus tells Nicodemus about His purpose. He says that He must be lifted up. And He refers back to an Old Testament story. And He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and the people looked to this serpent in faith and they were healed, Jesus says, likewise, the Son of Man, I must be lifted up. I must be lifted up on Calvary's cross so that everyone who believes, everyone who looks to Me in faith, Everyone who receives me in faith will be saved. They'll be healed from this terrible sickness called sin and will have eternal life. And he tells Nicodemus, don't you love John 3.16? Actually, it was really hard for me to read it in the CSB version this morning because I memorized it as probably a four-year-old in the KJV. But I love what Jesus says. He says, Nicodemus, God loves the whole world this way, that He gave His Son... He freely gave His only begotten Son. That's what God did to take initiative for our salvation. But then there's this responsibility that Jesus says that we have, and that's to believe, to have faith, to accept Jesus as for who Jesus is. Jesus says, simply believe. Now what does that mean? The Bible says even the demons believe and they tremble. So what does it mean to have a belief that saves your soul? The kind of faith that I think Jesus is talking about is one that goes much deeper than just, just head knowledge and, and even just mere understanding. But it, it begins to transform our heart and it really changes our lives. So what's he, what's he getting at here? I, I think it's a belief that's coupled with things like trust and faith and commitment and even surrender. All piled into one. And that great reformer Martin Luther put it this way. He said, really, there are two ways of believing. One way is to believe about God, as I do when I believe that what is said of God is true. This faith is knowledge or observation rather than faith. The other way is to believe in God, as I do when I not only believe what's said about Him is true, but I put my trust in Him. I surrender myself to Him, and I make bold to deal with Him, believing that without doubt He will be to me and do to me just what is said of Him." I call this saving faith. Because put, y'all are putting a lot of faith in these pews this morning. They're not going to collapse, right? But that's not going to save your soul. But I think saving faith, as we may call it, is faith that's so much greater than knowledge, it's so much greater than mere belief, and it involves completely giving yourself over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you can believe all the facts that you want to believe. And I'll be honest with you, you can know and even believe all the Scripture that you want to know and believe. But saving faith isn't just about knowing. It's not simply about believing. It's about a relationship with a man named Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon explained this a little more eloquently than I can. 
He said, faith is not about belief of a doctrine, nor an opinion, nor a formula, but belief concerning a person. He said, a creed will not save you, but reliance upon the anointed Savior is the way of salvation. I want to ask you, where's your faith this morning? Have you placed your faith in, in yourself? In your good deeds? Have you placed your faith in someone else? Have you placed your faith in the church? Listen, those are good things, but none of that's going to save you. You have to place all your faith, all your hope, all your trust in Christ alone in order to be saved. Billy Graham tells a story about this tightrope walker, this guy that uh, had stretched a tightrope across the Great Niagara River and he was really good at what he did. I, I don't know why you'd ever choose this profession, but he was good at it, right? And so he went out and he had a crowd gathered and he walked across the tightrope and he came back and then he came and he got a wheelbarrow and he pushed the wheelbarrow across the tightrope, across the Niagara, he turned around and he comes back and he takes a 200-pound sack, throws that in the wheelbarrow and he takes that and he very carefully works his way across the tightrope with this 200-pound sack in this wheelbarrow. Turns around, he comes back, and the crowd, you know, they're just going crazy. There's a thousand people gathered around. They're just thrilled. He says, okay, who thinks I could push a man in the wheelbarrow across the tightrope? And everybody's like, woo, yeah. And so he points to the guy in the front row. He says, well, come on. The guy jumps up and runs away. <laughs> See, the guy believed it could be done, right? And he thought he believed it could be done. But when it came right down to it, he just didn't have faith in the tightrope walker. Enough to get into the wheelbarrow and go across himself. The point is, there are many people who say that we have faith in Jesus. There are many people who say that we're going to follow him, and, and we say that we do follow him. But when it comes right down to it, few people actually get in the wheelbarrow and go across. True saving faith is having complete and total confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's completely and wholly surrendering yourself to His care, to His leadership, to His kingship, to His authority. And such faith results in something. I want you to, we can't skip this. Jesus preached this as much as He preached anything else. This kind of faith results in repentance. <laughs> Boy, that's a fun topic, isn't it? But not only must I be reborn, and not only must I receive Jesus, but I must repent. Jesus concludes this lesson with Nicodemus talking about our deeds. In John chapter 3, verse 19, I think is one of those verses, it's good enough, it's powerful enough to stand alone, but it kind of gets overshadowed by John 3, 16. But in verses 19 through 21, Jesus shares the truth about the plague of sin, this terrible sickness that we have to overcome. And He says, Nicodemus, the light has come into this world. He says, I have come into this world. But here's the tragedy. People love the darkness because they love their sin. What Jesus is getting at is that when we're reborn and when we're, we place our faith and our complete trust in Him for salvation, the other side of all of this is, means that we have to turn from something. That we have to turn from our sinful ways and turn to God in further obedience. This is what we call repentance. And repentance involves three things. And we have to, one, change our mind about our sin. 
you got to change the way you think about it. And then you have to change the way that you feel about sin. You should be repulsed by it and feel sorrow and brokenness because of your sin. And then lastly, and probably most importantly, you have to change how you handle sin. When you're confronted with it and tempted by it, you got to refuse to live in it. We have to fight it. We have to abandon it, as some say. And Paul would say we got to go to war with our sinful nature every single day. And listen very carefully to me, church. Repentance is a necessary part of your salvation. Let me explain. I'm not saying that you earn your salvation through repentance. But what I am saying is if you display saving faith in Jesus Christ and something changes in you because you were reborn in a new person, you will want to repent from the things that displease your God. Spurgeon again explains it this way. He says all the fruits necessary for repentance are contained in faith itself. You shall never find a man who trusts Christ that remains an enemy to God or a lover of sin. He says, Surely no rebel can expect the king to pardon his treason while he remains in open revolt. Faith and repentance are like two sides of the same coin. Your conversion is made up of those two things on your part. You might even say that, that uh, repentance is an effect of your saving faith. And so, yes, it is necessary to your salvation. And I'm not going to beat you up about repenting this morning. If you're hearing my voice and the Spirit's dealing with you, you know what you need to repent from. I don't have to tell you about that. But I want to leave you with this idea. This is the point of what Jesus is saying. In spite of us loving darkness, in spite of us loving our sin, in spite of how broken we have made the world, He says, God loved this world. God loves people. And God loves you. Jesus says He loved you just as you are, not after you repented, not after you got straightened up, just as you were to send His Son to die for you. So you don't have to die and go to hell. But you could have everlasting life. God loves you that much. But the second thing, think about this. God not only loves you enough to save you, but He gives us this new birth. He, he allows you in this, not only to have eternal life, that's wonderful. But He allows you in this life to be something totally different. He allows you to... to, to Repent. I think it's a privilege. We, we, we think of that as, as something that, man, I've I got to repent. And it's a burden. But repentance is a privilege that God allows us to do to turn from all of those things that are wrecking our lives. All of those things that, that are, are maybe they're blatant sins or it's, it's like anger and bitterness or it's greed and selfishness. These things that are ruining our lives and our relationships. God says, you don't have to live that way. And He gives us the opportunity to turn from that. I think what, what I'm getting at is, is God loves you enough not just to save you, but He loves you enough to, to take you and not leave you where He found you. To make you completely and totally new in Christ. And folks, I'll just be honest. When I think about that, to me, that's a God worth following right there. And if you've never placed your complete faith and total trust in Christ, you need to do that this morning. Because there's nothing like it. Are you thankful God loves you? About three people thankful for that this morning. Lord, help us. We, we got some repenting to do. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Father, this morning we, 
God, first of all, we just thank you for loving us the way you do. And God, I thank you for seeing past our walls and, and anything, any uh, facade that we may put up. Lord, just like you saw through Nicodemus when he came to you, trying to figure out who you were. You said, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you ain't going to get there. Your good deeds won't save you. Your name, your reputation won't save you. Only I can save you. And Lord, this morning, if there's someone here that's never been saved, God, if there's someone that's never turned from their old way of life and turned to Jesus, I pray this morning, God, that they would be saved. God, if there's someone here that's been hanging on to some things and we need to take that third step and we need to turn from some stuff, God, I pray that you give us the courage and the boldness to lay all that down this morning and follow you in obedience. But Lord, we thank you so much for loving us. How could you love such a broken and miserable world? But you did. You loved each and every one of us enough to die for us and to bear all of our sin. And God, for that, we are eternally grateful. Lord, we give this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you need to come to the altar and pray, if there's a decision that you need to make or share with us, why don't you come as we sing and celebrate our Father's love. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.